0: Super cool Hey everyone, before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about our merch store on Threadless. Shop a wide variety of logos with multiple colors and sizes available for each design. Your support is greatly appreciated and helps us continue to make killer content like this episode. Please visit supercoolradio.threadless.com or the link in the description to shop now. Hello everyone i am matthew thomas this is super cool radio thank you so much for tuning in to another killer episode i got a great guest with me at this time he recently released he recently formed the sweet kill and released the album darkness please welcome pete mills thank you so much for hanging out with me my pleasure thanks for having me matthew of course. As soon as I, I I heard the album "Darkness," I know we're going to discuss this later on in the interview. But I just want to say, like, I very much enjoy that that album is like a whole mood wrapped into one.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate that. It was really uh, important to keep it consistent, and and that was uh, the the focus, and that was the goal. And it was nice to get that recognition from the German label, Young and Cold, because they, right away, they loved the first four songs I sent them. So it just kind of gave me that confidence to go, okay, I need six more. Let's go.
0: (laughs) And before we get uh, into the album, because I know we got so much to discuss, I I did want to start for you. How did you get started uh, as a musician?
1: Uh, It started very early. um, Of... of, uh... Being exposed to rock and roll at a very young age, I found that was, like, my purpose. I just knew that the idea of following the, the the status quo as far as going to, like, post-secondary, college, have a career, all that stuff, I was like, no, hell no, no. I was even such a rebel that when my parents uh, thought that it would be good because I hated team sports. I hated, like, the idea of doing anything with, like, other people – so they were like, well, why don't you learn how to play guitar? I'm like, no, there's no way. I don't want guitar lessons. I don't, I mean, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh yeah, can I, my grandma, can I, I remember they had a guitar. I want to learn how to play uh, so that that song. I want to, you know, it was a Metallica song and I just want to learn how to see if I could do it. And when I started to see that I could do it based off of just my ear, I thought this could be fun. And for whatever reason it stuck and, and then the The correlation of them coming into high school and then joining the football team and then realizing that like, Hey man, we're all interdependent. There's certain things that I can't be the quarterback, but I'm really good at sacking the quarterback, uh, you know? Uh, and then I started to see that that's how bands operate because I became obsessed with the interdynamics of how does this cohesive unit sound so cool? Why is the drummer so rad and why is the bass player able to like, kind of be in the shadows, but then be significant. So I started to see the validity of everyone has a role. And and so be, being on a team that sort of expedited that perspective and then being able to implement that in a band who started to sort of music took on a whole like juggernaut of a trajectory for myself.
0: That is really awesome. And I know it does like with music, you know, sometimes people don't think, you know, it correlates to like other um, aspects of life. But like it does help you become a team player because you have to perform with all these people uh, to make sure you have like the, the complete sound and it translates to football or any kind of sports as well. So that, that's really cool, the correlation. Yeah, right on,
1: man. I mean, I look at like hockey and basketball are like the best examples because you know, football you got eleven people, but like in basketball and hockey, you got five. So your goalie is your drummer, uh, your defense is your bass, your guitar players are your left and right wing, and your lead singer is the center.
0: That is actually a very cool uh dissection <laughs> of hockey compared to music. I like that. <laughs> First time yeah, your point guard is your uh, singer, your
1: center is your your drummer, your power forward is your guitar, and then uh, I don't know basketball that well, but whoever the other guys are, let's we'll call them the bass player.
0: <laughs> but uh, for, for sure, that then. That is a really cool, like, you know, how uh, like music, you know, as we said, correlates to other sports and stuff. Like, that, that's cool how you just broke that down and, um, you know, kind of assigned everyone a music position for their sport as well. <laughs> that was cool. First time here on Super Cool Radio for that. Right on. Right on. <laughs> and I, I did want to talk about bef- uh, before we get into darkness real quick, I got a new question for this season. Uh, for you, because I know you've, you've performed with uh, some great bands, and uh, you've, I've, I'm sure you've been to many concerts as well. So for you, what has been either the most memorable concert you've either performed at or been to? Um,
1: let's go performance. Uh, there's been a few, and it's, it's tough to say which one in, takes the cake. Sometimes I go, okay, the one with the most audience, which was 10,000 people at Red Rocks, was pretty memorable, especially when we got into a bit of a yelling match with the audience. Um, but that was in another band, in another era of my career. Uh, and then I just go, like, recently playing festivals down in the O.C. where I'm from. I living in L.A., so down in the O.C., some festivals are really fun. Um, and then I, I can never... F- you know, under you never can underestimate the goth clubs in LA and that scene. And so, this sort of smallness of of certain but packed clubs that like, you know Bar Sinister, for example, like you know our last show there was just super like on point. Like we had three encores. It was just like phenomenal. Like people just didn't want us to leave, and that's the best feeling. And um, in the in the last show, I could say that really stuck out. As far as being an audience participant, um, would be nine-inch nails. I I had the privilege of seeing them when they did that. It was in 20, it was a while ago, but it was in 2018. They did Five Nights at the Palladium. Um and just being in the atmosphere of that and and seeing the interesting yet calculated set list flow that Trent orchestrated. There was a lot of very atmospheric moments where it was just him and his piano, and that, and then it was like completely juxtaposed by having like Mike Garson on stage, and and Gary Newman came out for some songs, and and then like full on band and just absolute light show situation. So the juxtaposition of those two extremes within that one show, and I saw it a couple of nights in a row, so it was different. There wasn't like an exact like we're sticking to this whatever fifteen song set. You know, they did uh, switch it up a little bit. Um, that was a very. Uh, it, it was very grounding. It brought me back
0: to like my roots. That definitely sounds like an awesome experience. I've I have not seen Nine Inch Nails live, but I've like most of the people I who have who I've talked to say they always they always put on a really great show. But it's also there's a lot of inner workings. Like you can you can really see like um, how Trent really lays out each set list. Well, it's interesting too
1: because I ran into t- a couple of women that were like traveling across the country to like they were already at like a Nine Inch Nose show 80 or whatever like they were just that was their thing like wherever that because I guess Nine Inch Nose doesn't play as much as they used to you know I mean Trent's got kids now you know he's doing scores for films so when they do play out it's like a Small leg here, a small leg there. So these two women are just like, yep, yeah, we go wherever Trent goes, kind of thing. And I I respected that. That was like dedication, you know.
0: That is a lot of dedication. I know like it always seems like some of those bands who don't tour a lot or like have a huge following that there's always that like group of people who just yep. go go wherever they go. Mm-hmm. And so I think I think we're warmed up. I think I, I really want to talk about uh, your new album, Darkness, uh, which was released uh, earlier this year. And I know you have a vinyl release that you're working on as well. Uh, so for you, like h- it is a solo project. So like, how did like how did this come about? What was your, like your um, your inner like your uh, inner workings and thoughts for uh, Darkness?
1: You know, over the years, being in bands, having those epic esoteric loquacious discussions about g major versus e minor versus the structure versus the feel and it's like the democracy of art sometimes can get super cumbersome because it's just like oh my god like dude let's just like it's a song it's just simple it doesn't have to be this like thing. But at the same time, you know, you know, that thing can be weaved into the lyrics and maybe it can just be simplified and delivered in such a way that the lyrics have more of an emphasis or a focus. So just being in that for as long as I was, have been, it taught me a lot. Don't get me wrong. But when it came time to like, sort of find what it is that I want to say, how I wanna say it and why I wanna say it. I didn't really wanna have epic discussions with people about it, I just wanted to do it. So it was awesome to just have that freedom and just to be able to fall in line with what works and what is authentic to who I am as an artist, being that I, most of my life in my role in bands was to be the grounding person for the singer so when I, I when I just started to see that I had a lot to say and it's not about you know well I don't have maybe I should just find a singer to say it like I have never really been a fan of singing somebody else's lyrics or have someone else sing mine um so I just thought you know what I'm just going to sing it and go for it and the co- the cohesion and the simplicity of of the way that I've found that outlet I just I super value it and it's very similar to say Prince the prince construct where he just plays all the instruments and and um you know or stevie wonder where he's like the drummer and the piano player and the singer and the songwriter or most uh, most accurately the the most the best metaphor or best similarity would be like a trent reznor you know, where he has collaborations with Atticus Ross and he has out, outside input and certain people will help with the mix and certain people will help with the mastering. But the idea is that he is the thrust of that. And so whoever's on drums is whoever's on drums, whoever's is on bass, but most likely he's found his niche too with the people that he trusts. And, and, and I feel that way as well with the people that I work with in LA, they're the best and, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but if the best is on tour with another band that's understandable and that's the nature of the game so i'll get another best to play that show or that tour or that leg or whatever
0: i really like how you said democracy of art that is a great way of describing it and and you you know this very well and i you know the people i've interviewed as well um it just it's just so weird like you know how people like they fixate on like you know like a certain part or just like something as you said just like a note chord or something where it's like can we, can we continue on with this process of making this song and not get hung up on this stuff it just to me it just, it just boggles my mind sometimes but again like what i do is all you know this solo you know not music wise but podcasting wise like i do all of this myself i don't you know i i i i'm in control of everything and i do you know if people do help me out it's you know it's cuz i i can trust that they, i can work with them so it it's definitely interesting just uh just hearing that kind of made me laugh a little bit cuz i i've heard it before with some people
1: it is interesting because when i think about it over the years i can actually z- zero in on it really clearly when i'm listening to music or some like epic new band or some thing and i hear it a, a little moment where it goes way over that way and i go like i bet that that was like a f- like a 50 minute discussion about like, should we, shouldn't we, what does it mean? What's the validity? Is it too out there? Or maybe because it is too out there, we should just do it because then that, you know, and I can hear it now when I listen to music, I'm like, yeah, that was a left field curveball that people probably debated over. Um, and I respect it because I, you know, again, I I grew up in that culture. I understand that, polarity of opinion and that polarity of vision and how it all can be cohesive. And sometimes it's just like, I don't like it, but fuck it, let's do it. And then it ends up being that special moment that everyone memorize or is so memorable for the listener or it was a creative victory of, of uh, the politics within the band dynamic. Um But at the end of the day, yeah, it is just a song. So why not do it? Or maybe, you know, like, I can see sometimes, the, again, my st- story is just keeping it simple. But then why not at the same time? So there is a sort of, you know, contradiction there that I I I live in between both worlds. But at the end of the day, like, you know, the Sweet Kill is pretty self-supporting in that realm.
0: So There's definitely a balance when it comes to, like, that kind of stuff, whether to, to do it or not. And, like, it's funny you can hear the conversation just based on what yeah. the song was. Uh, it it is also I want to touch on a, a real a real quick point that you said uh, just a little bit ago about um, you're working with the best, but if the best is not around, you'll find another best. I know I think Alice Cooper said it you know well like if um, you know this for whatever reason this person has to leave the band or they slip up, there's going to be ten people who are waiting to take their place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love I love Alice Cooper. It, he's he's my favorite. He, he's. I, he was the first concert I went to and oh, just, wow. you know, been hooked uh, that I saw him in uh, 10 years ago or nine years ago, 2013. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Well, I mean like anything to do with theatrics, like, like the way that he came out and in, in his androgyny, but then at the same time, he's a demon dude and songs like the ballad of Dwight Fry or or anything off of killer. Like it's just, it's quite evocative and it's very reminiscent of my relationship with say kiss and how they had such an impact on me just by the visuals and like, I can like, Oh, who's my favorite. I like the guy at the dragon, but then I like the guy who's the cat. Cause I like cats. And it's like, it always interchanges depending on what mood I'm on in. And, and, and I just love like anything to
0: do with theatrics. Well, it, it was so cool. And honestly, I think I was like, that was like the perfect concert to go see because it is, it's a show. You know, yeah. it's it's not just a concert. It is a whole performance. I know I I have his DVD of his uh, 1975 "Welcome to My Nightmare" uh, concert, and that was so over the top. He had like the spider webs with the spiders, and the the like the play. The, he had like a, a toy bin that would like you know pop people would pop out and give him stuff. So it was just so like over the top and elaborate that mm-hmm. it's just like how like the, the to me. That's just so cool to re- you know have music but also performance as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think like like that. The whole stage of it all the 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 theatrical element of like uh of I'm not just like, yeah, I'm sitting there, I'm singing my heart out, and I'm really emotional. It's like, yeah, but what about the spiders, okay, like what about the bats? where's the lightning coming from? Give me an explosion, I'm stoked.
0: Well, exactly. I respect a really good concert, you know, like music wise, too. But it's just so cool. As you said, like the ballad of Dwight Frye, where he gets like put into the jack and then he escapes the jack and he attacks the nurse. There's just it's so cool to like see that kind of part of that song come to life right in front of you.
1: Yeah. And that song Tourniquet off of Antichrist Superstar by Marilyn Manson literally takes a page from the core progression and the vibe of ballad of dwight fry you know like i got there's a correlation there and of course marilyn manson's that version you definitely. know you know and 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 david bow yeah just i could go on and on about like the theatrics of stuff that i just love
0: well i i definitely too and i know we could I, I i will say one thing and then i do have some uh some questions that we want to talk about for darkness um you know, Alice Cooper said it the best. He said, "This is like uh, Marilyn Manson is a modern day version of Alice Cooper." Yeah, and it, it's that is so true. Yeah. So listen to Tourniquet. Listen. To I will. It. I, I own that third. album too. Yeah,
1: That's I think it's cool. the third song off that album. I'm not, I'm not familiar. I'm not sure exactly the track listing, but Tourniquet literally listen to Ballad of Dwight Fry, especially the end of Ballad of Dwight Fry. It's like it's pretty much the same song.
0: I'm going to check like I I haven't listened to Marilyn Manson uh, in, in a while like I own that album because I honestly I think a lot of people own Antichrist Superstar I think that's his yep. biggest album. Yep. <laughs> so I, I definitely will. you see I see every interview I love it cuz I learned something new about you know something like like I love like Alice Cooper and uh you know Marilyn Manson that kind of stuff that I I learned something new. Right on, man. Here to <laughs> serve, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Uh, so for you, since, as I said, this is, uh, you know, Sweet Kill, this is your project. Um, w- is it a different experience for you, like, writing with a band compared writing to, like, the solo projects, The Sweet Kill?
1: Yeah, and and over the years of um, just being in a band, like, I love collaborations. And, and I, you know, when I had a songwriting partner, we would pretty much say that, If we bring in a third and we don't have something within two hours, we're just going to either not work with that person again, or we're going to start a new song because it's like there's a two hour sort of machination, throwing some ideas, concepts, listening, maybe understanding the vibe and all that, that if you can't figure it out within two hours, then it's just not going to work out. So... So that, those, these little rules and these little like guidelines and frameworks, I super value and I love, um, the sweet kill is very personal to me and it's not necessarily open for, um, thematic perspective or or output or input. It's more about for me, um, tapping into that truth within me, that, that energy, that, that, uh, life experience that is very exclusive to what i 've gone through over the years um, going down the dark depths of sorrow despair self doubt existential crisis, and then coming out the other side of it with like hope um, exuberance, and like polarity and and perspective and clarity um, all those things like i, I can 't really like i don 't really want to bounce them off of somebody else, however sonically speaking and, and genre wise like uh i'm i'm very focused on like early eighties and like that sound of of coldness and I love castles and darkness and anything to do with gothic lore and and old school like mythology it's it's like really important to me I feel very passionate about it because Like, that's a lot of the great uh, literature, like Russian literatures and and Edgar Allan Poe and all these people that, like, kind of touch on those areas, these aspects of of darkness. And I don't know. I just find it super inspiring. And so I just get lost in the the studio that I have, Shadow Zone Sound. I just get lost in it. And I just spend days, hours just kind of exploring and having that experience where I don't have a two-hour time limit. I don't have um sort of any sort of outside input is very coming from within my connection to the source of energy that created me in the first place that puts me in a position to be a channel for its flow so i call it um uh, one of my spiritual advisors calls it the uh ev- the uh, the unconscious what's it called the ever the um vibrational arch that's sort of the unconscious of everyone's connectivity to it and so the world's kind of pretty it's always been what it's always been but it's it's at a I feel like it's like we're at a tipping point right now and I feel very inspired to be the catalyst of darkness
0: I really like that you said catalyst of darkness that 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 is a very solid tagline uh but it, it's so cool that like the the album like when i listen to it, it it's it's very tight like you know just the the songs just flow one after you i i i can tell just by listening to it that you put a lot of effort and thought uh to like lay out each song to record each song and lay out the track listing and you know how how you wanted to represent the album in its whole you put a lot of effort to it and i i was very impressed like wh- listening the whole thing I had to keep listening to it because, like, I want I cause I felt like I had to, like I picked up something new oh, every wow. time I listened to each song.
1: I appreciate you, man. I appreciate that. That's the whole point, right? Like, there's, it's not just like uh, one and done, and you you get it all out of the gate. And and the idea is to create enough of a impact to the listener to want to hear it again. Or they find themselves in op- weird moments, like whether they're in the bread aisle at Ralph's and all of a sudden they're humming something. You know, like that's the goal is to get it hooked enough within the unconscious to be able to go, I want to hear that again. And the first four songs that I was sending out as a private SoundCloud link to a bunch of labels, managers, booking agents, stuff like that, was uh, it was in the order of darkness, closer, cold, and then heart attack. So those were the first four songs that sort of got the ball rolling. And a lot of you know sync agencies and stuff like that were like, "Oh yeah, we love the music. It's just not what we're pitching right now to film," but you know keep submitting or other, a lot of people It's like, you know, we're full up on our roster and our labels, but like, it's great stuff. So I got a lot of like all the, all the, if you will, um, rejections were very positive. You know what I mean? And then when the right away, when young and cold heard it, they're just like, yeah, we want to put this out. And they said, do you, do you want to do an EP or an album? And then they paid more for an album. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do an album. And so, but because I knew the cohesion was there, and a big part of that was actually running on a lot of these ideas and concepts by my girlfriend. We're super extreme. We're super turbulent in our relationship and, and as individuals. So I, when when I first played her the initial mix of closer, she's like, I don't know, man. We should just like throw, jump off a cliff. This sucks. It's not what it should be. And I was like, but I know how to mix and I know how to do it. And it's fine. It sounds good to me. And she's like. And essentially like what I extracted from her, cause she's Russian. So what I extracted was that we just needed more verb on the snare and we needed more verb on the vocals, you know, and it was just like that simple. And then, you know, make the piano a little bit more affected with phaser and flanger. And these are just like the basics, but she wasn't able to articulate other than it sucks. So it was kind of, you know, it was a nice transition to be able to like, you know, press her and prod her as to what do you mean? And me sort of being, taking myself out of the left brain artistic element and to go into the right brain technical and go like, so what about this? And what about that? And so essentially, like I said, the extraction was just like way more reverb and way more effects. And, and that's sort of, you know, and, and she was really integral. And that's why she gets a additional production credit on the album because she was very, you know, um, she voiced her opinions uh, quite articulately, and then it was you know when the ones that i didn 't understand the opinions i didn't understand I was just asking like you know broad and out there questions to sort of interpret what it is that she was looking for but essentially um, it was it was a really cool uh, dynamic and and it really it
0: uh, was a big part of the cohesion. Well, it's kind of, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier with having, like, you know, as you said, like, not, not to me like, outside um, influences or factors, to them, but to have that one where, like, it's someone you trust very well yep. to, like, get you, um, like, a different, a little bit different perspective on stuff. And, even, like, it, it's just so cool how a song, you transform a song, like, as you said, it's just the basics for how, you, you know, what you uh, uh, change about the song, but it makes a, a whole lot of difference.
1: Oh yeah. And it's, it's just subtle stuff. I mean, maybe it would be fine without it, but at the end of the day, um, it had an, an energy and, and, and it's like one thing, like I, I kind of look at like, um, when Susie Sue started hanging out with Robert Smith. I mean, I, I don't know the exact details. I think they might've been dating, but the cure got darker. They just got way darker after that exchange. I think that he was even yeah, he was playing with her as a guitar player in her band for a minute too. So there was like a, a and I kinda look at the Susie Sue, Robert Smith dynamic with me and my girlfriend. And and so I you know, I think that this this uh release party we're gonna be having at Bar Sinister, she's gonna be playing keyboards in in the band. So she's like, you know, having that Robert Smith experience with me. And uh
0: yeah. Uh but that that is just so cool. And you know, uh b- before I, I comment on what you said, just it is true At like, the cure, but like, they kind of started out more as like a rock band, but then yeah, like a public yeah, you can really tell like their music got way darker. But I mean, to me, like some say it's there's some of their best stuff, so they're you know, it, it's up to interpretation, but it, they definitely tell there was a big shift in their in their music, and that is definitely one of the factors. But it, it's so cool for having someone have like um you know, uh, give you very good like opinion. Listening to music. Be a very huge part of uh, you know like listening to music to um, you know give you those fe- that feedback and those details about you know what you know like the song or like what to do better. It's so cool that uh, she'll be playing keyboards with you for the release show.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think she's definitely earned that you know experience to be. You know, she's definitely. A, I mean, she even came up with some of the keyboard lines. So it's like, well, who else better to play than the person who came up with it?
0: So. Yeah. exactly now um have you performed with her before nope first time yep i i i i assume you're excited for it
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean the show is a little bit a ways away um you know we we just moved from hollywood to the burbs and the studio is a big part of my peace of mind and so i'm very focused on like you know we got a guy in to tune the room and put all the Oralex on the walls and such certain pl- spacing. And there's this procedure that occurs in the technical realm of throwing white noise, which is just pretty much. <laughs> and then, so it tunes the room and he has this, uh, uh, you know, weird schematic that shows the EQ of the actual room. And the, the problem areas get to be toned out through the EQ of the speakers. And it's a, it's a procedure, man. So the focus has been like, okay, get the studio up and running, um, and getting it to so I can get into that peace of mind. Because without me creating, I'm just a rudderless ship, man. I'm just like, why am I here? <laughs> like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, I'm here. I, I have a purpose, you know, is to uplift others and be a channel. But like, without me fully, you know, maximizing my my expression, I get a little bit weird, you know.
0: No for sure you need that you need um, you know that to the thing to ground you you know to like put you in your element for that you can be at hundred percent you can be the best you can, yeah for Absolutely. sure uh and so um when is the uh release show
1: november twenty
0: sixth so nice. two months
1: two months away essentially um but there's a bunch of work there's a bunch of new songs that are gonna be that aren't even on Darkness that are just in the works that are super phenomenal and they have to be a part of the show. So how I work is I just sort of get all those sounds and the the instrumentation flushed out so then I could send them to the guitar player, to the bass player, to the drummer for them to learn note for note what's going on so then we can have an experience. Now, obviously I'm not like a guy who wants it to be exactly the way it's supposed to be. Like there's, you know, the players that I have, the been blessed with to play with have the athletic decisions within them to to do something cool over here or when this moment comes to lead up to it and create. So there's like a nice, um, kind of unpredictableness of the live performance that i really enjoy because you know yeah you know i've always as a kid growing up i never liked live performances because things were always different than the album and i remember and that was a big t- a testament or a foreshadowing as to why i became a producer because i'm so specifically attuned to every little nuance And that when it's ever so off i'm like i don't why didn't they do that like why is it that lou reed can't sing venus and fur is exactly like it is on the album and it has to be some weird uh spoken word experience like oh uh, but i get it as a performer that like sometimes you got to just leave things up to the unpredictability of the live performance and so i got great musicians that have the capacity to kind of like think outside the box do their thing with it but at least so i'm a fan of um the movie hearts of darkness which is the behind the scenes documentary of the movie apocalypse now directed by francis ford coppola and then in that mo- in the di- behind the scenes, Hearts of Darkness, there's a scene between Dennis Hopper, who is just high as a kite, probably snorting way too much coke during his thing. And of course, his role in the movie was he was a, uh, a photographer documenting the war. And so Francis Ford Coppola said to him, like, hey, so you're not really doing your lines as they're written. And he's just like, yeah, man, I'm doing my thing. You know, I, I, I feel it, you know. And he's like, Dennis, you gotta learn your lines so you can forget them, and you see the light bulb come on, and Dennis is like, "Whoa!" So that's how I like to be playing with. I know, mean, as say I'm the director of the show, so so to speak. Um, I like to have musicians that can learn the parts, but then they can also, by knowing them, they can kind of embellish or or enhance them. So it's like a unpredictability again.
0: For for sure, and that's uh, you know, I I I've seen Apocalypse now. I actually I I did that for uh, that was my senior year of high school. We had to watch that and write a paper about it. Amazing. And it's uh, it's it's very dark, like right? you know, but that's also the whole point of it. But it is so well done and well written, like just the, and just the visuals of it too. Like sometimes you didn't really need too much of the dialogue; you just see what is going on. It was um, it, it is it's truly amazing. I I haven't seen it in, a, in you know since then. Uh, but honestly, if I probably watched it again, I'd probably pick up more than what I wrote about in my paper.
1: I would highly recommend watching Hearts of Darkness because that movie, um, Apocalypse Now, went two years over budget. Two years over budget. like that. They were in it. They were in the Philippines, and they were just like becoming part of the script. That's how esoteric it got and how you know, morphing, it become reality versus movie versus the history of Vietnam. And it just became a thing. And that movie Hearts of Darkness is like phenomenally constructed because there's a, there's a whole team of people, a whole crew of people filming the behind the scenes of this making of this phenomenal movie that just was like met with roadblock after roadblock and years over budget and just the insanity of it all. And it's 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 insane. And of course, the book Joseph Conrad, Hearts of Darkness, yep. is the you know foundation point. But that's the name of the documentary behind the
0: scenes, Hearts of Darkness. Yeah, I've actually I've read uh, Hearts of Darkness, but I have not seen the behind the scenes. I'm definitely gonna check that out just because of just as you said that they became part of like you know they were the movie, which you know was characters portraying what is written. But like I don't know for like them, they actually became uh the movie. Yeah. It's insane. It's, yeah,
1: it's, it's kind of like, it's creepy, in it, but it's really cool.
0: Oh, but for sure. And then, you know, to the point you were making with it is like, uh, like, for people who like actually know, like, you know, what their lines are and what they, um, you know, if they intimately know what is going on, then they can go, okay, I can embellish on this. Yep. I, can, I can do this part because they know how the flow is that if they do add something, it's going to be natural, but also it's going to fit because they know it so well that's the difference between
1: an actual great musician and an imposter syndrome, you know, in the sense that the imposter syndrome just wants to not rock the boat. Okay. You want me to play this? I'll play it exactly like it is. But then there's like the real musician who's like, yeah, but I got, I got me. I got to put into that. And that's what I love.
0: Well, for sure. like, I, And I'm sure all those, you know, the, the players who you're working with, I'm sure they can play that exactly how the album yep. is. But for um, them to uh, intimately know what is going on for that they can do their their own style on it you know i'm going to bring up alice cooper once again he said that he wants you know the musicians to play with the song just you know stay within the realms of the song but play with it a little bit for you know it's not just the just people can listen to the album it's experiencing the music live that's the difference yeah absolutely Before we continue on with my conversation with Pete Mills of The Sweet Kill, we gotta take a quick pause from the action and hear a word from our friend Brian at Concerts That Made Us podcast. Wait, so you like concerts, podcasts, and music, and you don't listen to Concerts That Made Us podcast? Oh man, you're missing out. You've got to head over there straight away. They have interviews with the best up and coming bands as well as some famous ones thrown in the mix too. And don't even get me started on the concert stories. Oh man, are they wild.
1: That's concerts that made us podcast new episodes every Thursday on all
0: podcast players. You want to talk about you did film some music videos for darkness. That was for closer satellite and the title track itself. Um, they look, they're very visual with the music video so how was it uh filming them
1: well the first director this guy named Lorenzo he's just like he's from Italy and he's like I wanted to do a song with a video with a guy putting his heart in his hand and I'm like sold let's do it (laughs) and he was he's like you know he, he was really fun to work with and we went up to the Santa Monica Mountains and we went to my studio and shot it down there and then he added some guy with a bunch of like weird 3d effects. That's all like 3d art. And so I was like, yeah, cool, man. It's like a fun little video. Um, satellite was more of like a storyline in the sense of I'm, I, when I stopped using drugs and alcohol, um, I wanted to write a song to sort of celebrate that and try to capture the seriousness of the transitional, element of going from one lifestyle into another and the, instead of the fear of the unknown, but the excitement of the unknown and what's to come and this fourth dimensional existence, if you will. So that's what satellite is, is like, uh, the, the symbol, the trope that we used was like the addiction or the, um, the illness, uh, I'm chasing and it's chasing me, and I'm chasing it, and then we we, we confront each other, and then, you know, that, that was the storyline of that. Um, and then darkness, uh, I just wanted to do something dark. I just wanted to have something be scary and fun, and panthers to me, I'm fascinated by them, but I'm super scared of them, and we had a live panther on set. It was, like, insane. It was very... Uh, intimidating being that I was in a straitjacket. And so if the Panther were to react to I me, mean, I mean, there's one moment that was a danger zone moment. We have it on film in the BTS filming, you know, behind the scenes. It was intense because you know, they were like distracting the Panther with, with uh, rock and roll. Like the Panther apparently likes like classic rock because it grew up with it. So like we had like Alice in the Chains, Guns and Roses, like, you know, Black Sabbath just being played on loop during that whole filming, but also chicken. So there's a lot of chicken, like, Hey, have a chicken. Hey, Murphy, have a chicken. And so it was one time where he just started like looking at me and I'm looking at him. And then he kind of like, instead of following the call of the trainer, it turned and came towards me. And so then they did like their troubleshooting and it was just a moment, but they said, do not move, stay calm. And that was the thing. We all had to, as a crew huddle together and the, tra- the training was that if the Panther uh, slips its safety rope or its safety leash, because there's a safety leash that's, like, super thin that you can't see on film. And if it slips out, if for some reason, because it's not super tight, so it could slip out at any moment, it goes, whatever you do, do not run. If you're in a pack, it's not, you know, but if you start running and they start running, then someone's going to, you know, get pounced upon so we had that training and they obviously they had three trainers in there like monitoring the whole situation and that blood actually fell out of the chair doing a fake seizure and i hit my head on the ground so that's like real blood and i got a concussion so i was like literally in bed for a whole month after that um i missed my pro tools uh, subscription renewal and they had they were like, well, too bad. I'm like, yeah, but what if I gave you a doctor's note to like actually – and they're like, okay, fine. So they accepted my doctor's note. I got a month free of Pro Tools and whatever. My subscription renewal is no, now November as opposed to October. But, um, yeah, it was one of those those moments where like I just wanted creepy to be the prevalent element and hence the song is called Darkness. So the amalgamation of the two
0: made sense. I bet it- that is just so awesome and so badass that not only like you, like you know I was I was trying to figure out is that real is that you know um, you know computer animated and it's just so cool you got to work with an actual panther it loves classic rock music like come yep. on like you can't make that up <laughs> but, yeah it was a phenomenal experience but that, to me that that is just so awesome and that you got to do that obviously no one you know no one got injured by the Panther. You, know, you got suffered a concussion, but you got a free month of pro tools. So that out. <laughs> Glad they accepted your doctor's note. <laughs> that,
1: that's what they, they, they requested that. They're like, can you prove it? I'm like, no problem. <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> no, I, I've had a concussion before. They're, they're not, it's not fun.
1: No, it's like weird brain fog, man. I'm just like, what? This isn't
0: me, but I just want to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I not know. It's, pretty much what I I actually got tinnitus or mine, which is... Oh, wow. Yeah, and, like, tonight, like, I know, like, people who, unfortunately, like, um, you know, take their own life because of tinnitus, and, like, I totally understand that, like, it does... Mm-hmm. It messes with your, you know, you, you wouldn't think that it does, but it messes with your, with your mind and your ability uh, just so much. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it, it's so cool. You had some really great experiences, and it's uh, awesome to see the, like, the storylines play out in uh, Satellite, and just the the uh, and then going to darkness. Just I really like the whole visuals with it. You know, obviously you have the panther, but also I really like the the contrast from like a white background, but like either people are wearing black, or you got a black panther that you have like light and the dark uh, contrast with it.
1: Oh, well, thanks. You know, we actually had we got a special effects guy. Some of those closeups of the panther, we CGI'd black into the background. So that was a lot of work for the CGI guy because he had to like maintain the whiskers, but we just wanted, we thought it'd be cool if the Panther had the sheen of the white light on him with the uh, the reflection of the white background, but then CGI black onto that. So then that creates a, u- a new energy, right? So
0: uh, it definitely turned out awesome. I'm gonna leave some uh, for links to the music videos in the description oh, of this podcast. Of course, I I, I again, just like with the album, there, there there's effort and cohesiveness with uh, the music videos. Uh, thank you. Labor of love. <laughs> of course. Uh, now, as, as I begin to wrap up this interview, I do have another new question. I, I'm very curious for you since, uh, you know, the Sweet Kill is a solo project. So I am curious if you recorded what you considered to be the most perfect album, but for whatever reason, it was not released. Would you be content knowing you recorded it, or would you want people to listen to it and have it released?
1: Oh, dude. Uh... It's a tough question because I think anytime I know something is that I've done the best of my ability at recording it, mastering it, writing it, performing on it, uh, honing in on the lyrical perspective and theme and like codifying that. And there's such a beautiful gratification. I just feel so complete right then and there. Then the other side of me is like, well, if I like it so much, uh, maybe someone else would. And if we all lived in a vacuum, then, you know i would never have that sort of feedback like there's something really gratifying of having young and cold records be so supportive and be so agilent and so um you know enthusiastic like that and then and then on and as a result of that being on a label with all these like-minded bands of these up-and-coming you know or or established dark wave acts that 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 community is really important and then as a result of that like festivals and then people that fans are just like organically fall in love with it. Like I, I, one of my producer friends in Canada, he said like, you know, you never have to really worry about building a fan base. They'll find you. People love music. People love new music. People love specific things. And you know, I just feel there's like such a nice rapport of having that, that reciprocity with an audience there is such a nice recognition as an artist ultimately. So it's a tough question, man, because I feel complete when I know I've done something to the best of my ability, but then it's like, it's, it's a tough thing to gauge because then the feedback I get from people I've never met before, the, the, the band camp sales that just keep happening and like the comments that are left or whatever, it's just like, it's everything for an artist. I mean, I don't read every comment, but like, the ones that I do that are super supportive, even the ones that aren't supportive, it's just like, wow, you cared enough to write something on my thing. Thank you. <laughs>
0: you know, no, it, it definitely, it, it is a tough question. That's why I, I kind of like to include it just because I want to kind of, kind of understand, um, you know, for artist perspective, like, you know, how you feel about that. But also I think honestly, most of the, the, um, the people who I do ask who I interview, um, they said they want to like release because they want you know people to listen to it. They want if people have a connection with it, that would be awesome, but also to influence other people. Like we wouldn't have Marilyn Manson if we didn't have Alice Cooper.
1: Right. And when there's that documentary called control about joy division and it shows a scene in the, I mean, the fun fact about that movie is that the actors were actually, they learned how to play like, that's how easy it was for joy division, you know, or anybody for that matter to like play a joy division song. So, there's a scene in that movie where it was like, I think it was Steve Jones and Paul Cook, or maybe it was Steve Jones and Johnny Lydon from the Sex Pistols that were just sort of watching that first Joy Division show in that like half filled auditorium. And it's like, you could see the wheels turning and they specifically did that scene to sort of a hint that like without Joy Division's come as they may approach to playing music. uh, it, it, It gave permission for, punk rockers to be like, you know, I don't need to be like the best musician. I can just do what I do, man. I, I can express myself in my limitations. My limitations can be my strengths. I don't have to be like a jazz musician to be able to, you know, um, so, so yeah, like, like it's, it's all about, you know, it's all everything I see. I take in like a sponge, but I have to have an outflow and I would love to, and I'm honored if I'm an outflow for someone else
0: you know? Oh, definitely. Just having that, um, that influence that, you know, as you said, like with the Sex Pistols, it was funny. I've been listening to them this week. So it's kind of funny you mentioned them, but yeah, to have them be inspired to, you know, have their own music and to form their own band. Like to me, that, that would just be so awesome. Yeah. yeah do you play? No, I actually, I don't. <laughs> um, oh, I, yeah. uh, but uh no I'm I'm am I'm just more of a podcast like I love music but uh, I'm not like you know that that musically inclined. Okay. All right. For sure, but uh one more thing before we uh talk about your future plans for uh this week kill. Uh what has been your favorite moment from your musical career so far?
1: Mm, favorite moment. A lot of them come in the studio. Um th- it's because it, there's something really powerful to be able to pull something out of thin air and start to like, it, it's like a, a sculptor, right? Like it's just a block of mass. And then they kind of like create the Mona Lisa or whatever, or right? is it the Mona Lisa, the no arms, Michelangelo. There you go. Yep. My, Michelangelo. Oh yeah. Whatever it is. I mean,
0: I think, yeah, no, my, Mona Lisa is a painting. So
1: yeah, sorry. Yeah. So the Michelangelo, like it was just a block and sort of carving. And so that's what I do with with the sonics of creating music. And so there's something really, really gratifying and I get every time I pull something out of thin air because then I have this envisionment of like what it would be like live on stage. And and so sometimes I test run the songs live on stage and realize they're either too slow or too fast or wrong key because I, you know, certain notes don't fit as right with my vocals. So. Like it's it's a you know, so it's like a back and forth between live and studio for me. There there's they're they're almost uh, synonymous to me. They're not mutually exclusive. So live performances are based off of my comfortability singing the song that I wrote in the studio. So sometimes I hit a home run and it's just like, yeah, it's perfect key, perfect tempo. This is the one. Oh my god, I came up with it in five minutes. How crazy is that? And sometimes they take they're more of an expedition of a deep dive into the center of the earth. You know, like how long is that going to take? I don't know. Sometimes they take years. Sometimes they take five minutes. I don't know. But that energy is uh, it, it expresses itself live. So I, to me, I look at them as the same. So any one time, it's more like a global, whenever I pull something out of thin air and I have an enjoyment playing it either acoustically in front of like a coffee shop full of people or a 10,000 stage. Stadium. It doesn't matter to me. It's just the ability to kind of take something from nothing and put it into a performance. And any one of those times, uh, depending on it, it's not exclusive to the venue. It's more about like that experience of catharsis.
0: I really like how you answered that. It's like uh, it, to me it is like, you know, like live and studio, you know, they, they can be very synonymous because you put in the effort to then perform live, but also it's a very gratifying. Anytime you perform live cause you get to perform live in front of people and you, you kind of see their reaction, their feedback and their connection with the music.
1: Yes. It's a, it's a very gratifying feeling when that encore keeps going into a second to a third, it's just like, Oh my God, this is the best
0: <laughs> for sure. And uh, so before you, like, what are the plans for the Sweet Kill uh, as we close out 2022, but then looking into next year, 2023? Closing out 2022 is going to be a big celebration of merchandise and
1: Shopify and Marketplace, Instagram, Facebook, and just getting all of our product out there. Um, the label just sent me a bunch of vinyl and CDs. So they're also purchasable on the Bandcamp um but it's just it's to me building the blocks to create the the quantity of product to be available to our fans and and so we're and plus switching studios like moving it was it was taking a lot of time because a big part of the Sweet Kill is based off of my ability to cipher and be a channel for new music and so I've had the you know I I work at it, but it's also, there's like that sort of, there's a time period. So, so 2022 is like pretty much releasing the product, preparing the product, and we're having a, a nice sort of end to the year with this release party that we're going to do in Hollywood um, November 26th at Bar Sinister. Uh, we've got this great band of seats that are going to be opening the night and they're, my girlfriend pointed me out to them. We they're local and and we, I just love them. They're they're really actually making some strides right now, so it's gonna be a great show. Um, but the, for 2023 is is it's gonna be festivals in in Europe, and it's gonna be that focus. You know, getting this out on the road, getting this out to the people that really have given so much loving feedback with what's been with the album Darkness so far. And then I would hope towards the end of 2023 to potentially release another album. So I like to keep things moving um, and build. Uh, And and I love back in the, some of my favorite bands back in the day were doing like, like kiss did like two albums in one year. Uh, They did, you know, but it's generally, they started to get into a flow where it was like an album a year. And I'm more than happy to (laughs) fall in the lines of that. Like, I, I think it's, with the ex I have really no excuse with the accessibility of my studio and and my ability to operate it. Like there's there's no <laughs> I'm I'm the governor, you know what I mean? Like I am the catalyst and I'm the you know it falls on me when stuff's not moving because again it's, it's all me. So kind of like I have no excuse.
0: <laughs> yeah the excuses might be a little weak when you um you know you you are part of the studio. Yep. <laughs> but but that that is you have a lot of great things in the works um i, I look forward uh you know to seeing where, where you really progress from here i hope you have a great uh release party it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun a lot of fun if i was anywhere closer i definitely would be there unfortunately i'm on way uh, uh you know different time zones away unfortunately but i do hope you have a really great time and this kind of cool like i'm an album person i love listening to albums and right now, with like you know the Spotify, you know kind of formula of list just releasing singles and you put them into an EP, like it's cool. But to me, it just it, to me an album is more fulfilling to listen. Oh yeah,
1: to. yeah, it's a fully flushed out perspective. Whereas an EP is kind of like a, I think EPs were used as testing the trajectory of a certain perspective or a, a direction the artist was taking oh yeah this is okay now let's do an album based off of the or you know what that wasn't so much uh, re- so well received let's re let's regroup do another ep down this direction so i just to me i felt that energy from young and cold's perspective on those first four songs and i just like you know what i, I got it in me i'm just gonna do it let's go and it felt really awesome just to codify darkness in its totality, you know, and, and the order of every song is definitely methodical. There is no like, Hey, yeah, the throw together is like, no, everything has got, like, it was very methodical as to what's going to be the first song side two. it was very methodical. What we, what we were going to close side one with, and it was very methodical what the end of the song. So we base things like, well, I base things like that flow. You know, I, I grew up on albums, so like singles are cool. EPs are cool, but like the cohesion of a whole thing means a lot to me.
0: Definitely. And I, I think for me as a listener, like to me, it's more fulfilling, like, you know, that you kind of, you get, as you said, a more fleshed out product, you get the whole experience that is intended through, you know, a whole album. As you said, you close out side one, what is going to be, you know, how are you going to start side two? And you'll have that flow. I think, very well done, and it, it's kind of funny when you mention about Kiss, like, they would do an album a year, sometimes two albums a year, they would be, all be bangers, they would all be really good albums within that year, like, there wasn't mm-hmm. any skips for those albums. Nope. Yeah,
1: big fan of the 70s era Kiss, big fan.
0: Oh, for, for sure, like, to me, Destroyers is one of my favorite albums, so, you know, that was, what I think, 76, so yeah, that that yep. whole like, era of Kiss is just, they they knew what they were doing. Oh, yeah. And so yeah, but then it kind of anyway. But yeah, wait, but
1: wait, back back to your love for Alice Cooper, they had they shared the same producer.
0: Yeah, Bob Everson. Yeah,
1: yep, yeah, he's a legend.
0: Oh, he he definitely just uh, and again he he's someone who he he knew what he wanted out of the bands and knew like you know uh, I'm 18 off of um, uh, Love It To Death. Uh, that was supposed to be like a seven minute song, and Bob's like, no, you're cutting it down. You're gonna make it a real rocker. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what he. And that's what they did. Amazing, that's that's a good producer. Oh, oh yeah. He, he, again, he 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 knows like what to get out of the bands, but also has that vision for for what the album is going to sound like. I think that's important before you even start recording. Is like you have to know what direction, like what you where you kind of want to go with the music.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: As, as I'm sure you know very well. Absolutely. But thank you so much for hanging out with me here on Super Cool Radio. I know I I told you before we started that we we're going to be about you know thirty or forty minutes, but I had a really great time chatting with you, so I kept you a little bit longer. Hope I'm hope that's okay.
1: Yeah, no, my my pleasure, man. It's an honor to talk with you, Matthew. Your your questions are great. You, I can feel your enthusiasm, and it's just really uh, it's it, it goes for good. Inter- you give good interview, man.
0: Hey, that is what I go for here on Super Cool Radio, but. Pete uh, of The Sweet Kill, thanks so much for hanging out with me here on Super Cool Radio. Make sure to check out the links in the description. I'll drop some for the band camp, uh, music videos, social links. I'll drop all that in the description. Please check out The Sweet Kill. Give it a listen. Uh, I love it. I know you yeah, guys love are- it. At,
1: yeah. at The Sweet Kill, is you can find us on all social media. And that's just, we're lucky that way. You know, there's no underscore or numbers. It's The Sweet Kill. And yeah, come follow, come along for the ride, man.
0: Definitely stick around for the journey of darkness. Uh, you know, when you, when you listen to it, as I said, check out the socials. But for Pete Mills of The Sweet Kill, I'm your host as always, Matthew Thomas. Thank you so much for watching and listening to Super Cool Radio. And remember, stay frosty. Yeah.